episode four of the Saggy Froggy Knits podcast. My name is Claudie and I've been part of the fiber arts community for around 35 years now with knitting being my all-time favorite craft. Having said that, I do also like to indulge in a bit of needle felting, spinning, applique, a bit of quilting and many other textiles based crafts which will also be getting a mention along the way. Some of you may also know me as Saggy Froggy on Instagram and as always I'll be leaving the details of both my Instagram account and my email in the show notes for you. In this episode, I'm going to be chatting about sustainable fashion, hemp and its benefits when used as a plant-based yarn, and I'll also be answering a few of your knitting-related queries. And if you tuned in last time, I'm sure you'll remember I promised I would continue my series about those pesky common knitting mistakes. This time I'll be troubleshooting those casting on and off conundrums. And if I have enough time, I'll try to squeeze in a cheeky book review for you as well. Something that's become somewhat of a fashion statement these days is visible mending, a really fun form of wearable fibre art. I'm sure we're all super familiar with invisible mending. We all know it as a fabric repair technique that reweaves yarn into the fabric of a garment or item of upholstery to seamlessly patch a hole. But what about visible mending? Well, personally, I absolutely love it. I think it's a really great way to extend the life of your wardrobe. Did you know that this current upsurge of fun, funky, often bright and very detailed visible mending that we are seeing more and more of these days was originally born from the art of sashiko, which is a Japanese mending technique that involves the use of a running stitch combined with geometric patterns. By mending an item of clothing in a highly visible style, anyone can turn a rip, snag or hole into a personal piece of wearable art. Visible mending values sustainability and I think suggests a different way of how we relate to our clothes. Rather than seeing something that is perhaps a little bit shabby or worn out and seeing that as a negative thing or something that needs to be replaced, I think it is so much nicer to embrace it as something that we love and at the same time create something completely unique which can enable us to express who we are. Fast fashion has been slammed so much in the news, especially after quite a few big retailers have been hauled over those hot coals regarding not only their disregard for the environment in the production of their garments, but also tackling topics such as fair trade and the treatment of their employees. I think it's fair to say that as a whole, globally, us humans have become far more environmental 
environmentally aware these days. And as a knock-on effect, we are all naturally concerned and conscious as to where our high street clothing is actually coming from. I'm certainly really keen to learn more about garment manufacturing and the whole production cycle of clothing. I find it really fascinating. By choosing not to rush out and buy something new and instead mending a tired garment, we can feel like we are doing a little bit to help make things better. Visible mending enables crafters like us to avoid those fast fashion outlets and also make any of our crafting mistakes look rather beautiful. Making men's visible gives us an opportunity to make a kind of fashion statement against consumerism, a push against fast fashion if you like. It's become all too easy to turn to disposable fashion these days. I think the process of visible mending is a great way to tackle that and lets us reconnect with what we already have. Rather than discarding things that have ceased to serve us, we should aim to find a way to make them beautiful again. Hopefully you're like me and when you look at an old pair of much-loved hand-knit socks that may have seen better days, you'll think, what can I do to make them new again? And there's quite a selection of fun gadgets on the market to help us do just that. One of my favourites being the visible mending loom. The darning looms I've had personal experience with have had two parts to them. One part is a wooden disc onto which you place your fabric and the second part is the metal loom. The wooden disc has a groove around the side so you can attach the loom to the disc and fabric using an elastic band. You then simply run your fingers across the chain of hooks at the top to make the metal hooks flip one way and the other. There are many different styles and sizes available. One of my favourites is the Speedweave style mending loom. For me, they're the perfect tool for patching small holes in your sweaters or socks and they help you create cute decorative patches. You can even use them to make small pockets. By simply adding more hooks to your loom, you can widen your mend and totally transform an old garment. As you can imagine, these mini looms were really big in the 1940s and 50s when the popular saying make do and mend was coined. I believe the phrase came about when clothes rationing was introduced during the Second World War. The Ministry of Information published a pamphlet encouraging people to do whatever they could to extend the life of their clothes, from darning socks to washing nylons more carefully. You may be lucky enough to come across a vintage darning loom in a thrift store, charity shop or even on a popular online auction site. But if not, uh, new ones are readily available at many online retailers and high street haberdashery stores. I most definitely will be using my little darning loom to save my knits and other garments before I even consider buying new ones. 
And seeing as I'm on the topic of sustainability, I also wanted to chat to you about hemp. This plant-based fibre is one of the more controversial ones, I guess. It's also one of the oldest known fibres to be cultivated for textile use, with some research showing it being used over 10,000 years ago. Wow, that is a long time. Of course, it's been used for maritime purposes in the past due to its strength when it's made into rope. And did you know the English word canvas derives from cannabis? Contrary to many a misguided opinion, hemp grown for industrial use has low or no psychoactive THC and is therefore very different from any plants grown for drug use. Hemp has so many uses, it truly is a wonder plant. In fact, there's one piece of information I came across when I was researching for this article and I know I'm going to go slightly off focus here, but I just wanted to share it with you because I thought it was absolutely amazing. And that was that hemp fibres can actually be used to make biodegradable plastic compounds. And um, apparently in the 1930s, Henry Ford created a car body that was made from soybean and hemp plastic. And apparently this withstood 10 times the impact of its steel counterparts, all without denting. And also another fun bit of information that I came across was that the United States Constitution was written on a piece of hemp paper. And so who knew? (laughs) Anyway, when woven, hemp has a texture that's very similar to linen. In fact, both the harvesting process as well as many of the yarn's properties are really similar to both linen and cotton. However, some very important differences are hemp sustainable credentials. It is extremely fast growing and takes very little water to thrive. And the fibre yield is about four times that of a wooded forest and twice that of a cotton field. Hemp is one of the strongest natural fibres in the plant world. And the fibres are longer than most other plants, making it the ideal choice for creating clothing to last for many years to come, which makes it even more eco-friendly. It's funny because so many people associate hemp with a rough and abrasive texture. And yet this can be true, I guess, when you consider that ropes and twines that are made with it, they are kind of rough and scratchy, but they're not meant for clothing. But when it is spun finely and plied, the resulting yarn can actually be softer than linen thanks to its long fibres. 
I must say my experience with hemp roving made me notice it does have somewhat of a scratchy quality but the good news is I found that it did get softer with handling. If you feel that it's too coarse to spin by hand then don't worry you can still incorporate hemp in your spinning by finding hemp tops that have been mixed with wool or synthetic fibres which will increase the softness. You'll find that many pre-spun hemp yarns have also gone through some kind of pre-softening process and one of the best ways to see if it's soft enough to your liking is just by giving it a good old squish. I feel one of the major benefits of creating with hemp is its durability and the great thing is that clothing made from hemp will not only last for years and years but also has the added benefit benefit of not shrinking and also it gets softer with wear and washing. When looking for the right hemp yarn for your project, look out for polished or processed yarns for knitting or crocheting as the softer finer texture will inevitably be easier on your hands. Another reason I love hemp is for its natural porousness. Hemp fibres hold dye colours excellently and many commercial products focus on using sustainable and often vegan dyes and soaps so the finished product will in most cases be guilt-free, hypoallergenic and eco-friendly and what's not to like about that and so next time you're thinking about buying some yarn I really hope you'll consider trying out something hemp-based. If you tuned into my last episode, you may remember that I didn't have much time and I was only able to answer one question. And so I'm going to make up for that today and squeeze in an extra question in this question time. And today's first message is from Kirsty in Ardmore, Michigan in the United States. And Kirsty says... Can I hide a dropped stitch in the middle of my knitting? Well, I would say not really, Kirsty, as it's just going to unravel and cause a rather unsightly ladder in your lovely work. If you've spotted your mistake a few rows above the dropped stitch, the easiest way to repair it is with a good old crochet hook. Ensure your knitting is at the point of the dropped stitch and remake those knit stitches from the right side by inserting the hook from the front to back through the drop loop to pick up the horizontal bar behind it and then you can pull it through to the stitch. And to remake a purl stitch on the wrong side, simply insert the hook from the right side to pick up the bar and pull it through. Just work upwards like a ladder until you're on the current row. And then once you get to the very last one, you can then just pop that stitch back on your needle and that should hopefully rescue your project. I hope that's clear enough for you, Kirsty. Okay, the next query is from Betty, who says she resides in Penryn, Cornwall in the UK. And Betty says, Hi, Saggy Froggy. Love the show. Please can you talk about weaving in ends? Do you have any recommended do's or don'ts? 
Hi Betty, thanks for your message. I know quite a lot of folk don't like weaving in those ends, but I really enjoy it. And sometimes I'll weave in my ends as I go along through a project, although that has been known to come back and bite me on the bottom. If I've made a mistake and had to rip my work back, then it's a disaster. And so generally, I like to save weaving in my ends until I'm at the end of my project. I'll get a big mug of piping hot coffee and a bag of M&Ms to nibble on and then I'll settle down and spend an afternoon or evening weaving in those ends. Anyway, in answer to your question, Betty, I nearly always weave in across the back of my work using a tapestry needle. And I take great care to only insert the needle into a few bits of the yarn so that the darning in appears virtually to kind of float on the fabric. I hope that makes sense. And then I'll trim off the tails, leaving about one centimetre spare. Okay, today's final question is from Chloe, who says she's based in Peterhead, Aberdeenshire. And Chloe writes... Hello, Saggy Froggy. Firstly, I just want to say how much I'm enjoying listening to your podcast. Oh, thank you, Chloe. And secondly, I'm hoping you can help me with this dilemma. I'm currently knitting the Dusky Rose Sweater by Drops. And as you can see, I've included a link in this message for you. I'm really worried that the top of my sleeve is looking a bit smaller than the armhole. Should I rip it back and start again? Well, hi, Chloe, and thank you for your lovely message and the link to your current knit so I could see exactly what you're up to. And I'm delighted to hear you're enjoying the show. I had a look at the pattern you're referring to, and I'll pop that in the show notes as well for my other lovely listeners, just in case anyone would like to check that out. Well, the first thing to highlight is that the construction of this lovely baggy sweater is such that it has set-in sleeves. Now, just to clarify, a set-in sleeve has a seam at the shoulder which continues around the complete construction of the arm. You may have also heard it being referred to as a drop sleeve. Well, Chloe, as you're working a set-in sleeve in this pattern, you really don't have to worry. As with this type of construction, the sleeve head is usually designed to be a few rows shorter than the armhole so it doesn't become too bulky. However, if it looks a lot smaller, you could do a looser cast off using a larger needle and this will give your cast off row a bit more stretch to ease into the armhole. Of course, you could also block the sleeve separately to the correct measurements before sewing the garment together. Either way, Chloe, I'm sure you'll agree that is good news. No need to worry about ripping back all of your hard work and having to start all over again. Well, that question and answer session leads me nicely into my next topic. And that's the little series I'm doing on fixing knitting mistakes. And as promised today, I'm going to discuss those casting on and off conundrums. Personally, I think that casting off too tightly or loosely is an easier thing to fix than casting on too loosely or tightly. 
As far as casting off is concerned, you only have to undo the cast off row and re-knit it. If you're inclined to cast off that little bit too tightly, try with a larger needle. Alternatively, if it's too loose, I recommend you cast off with a smaller needle. That's a pretty simple fix. A great tip to create a stretchier cast off is to work a yarn over cast off. If you're not sure what that's all about, then there are some great YouTube videos out there. Or for a tighter cast off, you can knit two stitches together and then take this stitch over the next knit one or even knit two together stitch. And that can work really well as well. I think that casting on too tightly or loosely is a much bigger problem. There is absolutely nothing worse than having a sock cuff that is too tight. The best way to avoid casting on too tightly or loosely, in my opinion, is to just work out what your project is. You know, sit there and think, how are you going to be using this? Does it need to be stretchy or not? You know, and work the appropriate cast on. So, for example, I think socks are great with a long tail or thumb method cast on as this is a nice and stretchy cast on method but a more traditional cable cast on method could work really well for a sweater say so you just kind of have to sit down and have a good old think about how you're going to be approaching your project and sadly the best way to fix a cast on in most cases is by simply undoing it and re-knitting it however sometimes not all is lost and if your cast on is too loose you may be able to run an elastic thread through the cast on edge just to help draw it in a bit well i hope that's been insightful for you and next time i'll be addressing some other common knitting mistakes and advising how to fix them and so make sure you tune in for those tips Well, the rather good news is that today I actually do have a little bit of extra time and so I am going to be able to do that book review for you and the book I'm going to be talking about today is Mittens from Around Norway Over 40 Traditional Knitting Patterns Inspired by Folk Art Collections This book is really lovely. I found it really inspirational and a really informative book. The patterns are reconstructed from either historical sources or drawn directly from the author's familiarity with Norwegian pattern knitting. There are more than 40 patterns with instructions translated into English. That's quite a lot of patterns. And I really loved the way the patterns and graphs were laid out. I think it's been done in a really clever way. You have one page of illustrations, one page of background information to the pattern, one page of the graph, and then the actual pattern. It made it super easy to follow. That said, I think that the graphs could have been a teeny tiny bit clearer. But that really is me just being a bit nitpicky. I did have a go at knitting up one of the mittens and the wool and needle that was suggested 
definitely correlated with the consistency with the gauge and tension. I found there were no problems for me there personally. I actually was really delighted to get gauge there sort of pretty much straight away. And um, that's really nice when you buy a book, you know, you've invested like that and you don't have to muck around too much. So that was quite a plus point. The list of abbreviations were super easy to read and of course really helpful even for an inexperienced knitter I think that it certainly would be quite accessible and fun so I think if you are into mittens and um, you would like to have a go at maybe knitting some quite traditional style Norwegian ones then this book would definitely be worth having a look at I really love it and I don't think it's too bad a price really I actually found it on Amazon in a hardcover version for £31.44p and that is a bit pricey I think. Um, However, if you're on more of a budget then there's a fantastic paperback version for only £11.79 and I think that's a real bargain for all of those lovely patterns and so definitely give that one a go guys. Well, sadly, that's all I have time for today. Don't forget this weekend, it is the Wool Monty Yarn Show, which is taking place on the 18th and 19th of June. And I chatted about this in detail in episode two. So there's loads of information there. And I've also put a link to the Wool Monty Yarn Show website in the show notes for you. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, hit that subscribe button and you'll be informed as to when I've uploaded a new episode. And so until next time, please stay safe and cosy. And remember, if it feels like life is unraveling right now, then get out your sticks and knit it back together again. Because after all, that's what knitting is all about. It is magic. <laughs>